So hi everyone, my name is Marta Shekon and along my fellow classmate Osvaldo Luna, Valeria Sandoval, Letizia Santiago, and Sheila Gutierrez are NAU social work students and together uh, we will be talking about problems that many individuals face within the LGBTQ community. With us we have a representative for, from PFLAG um, and co-director um, from Yuma Pride Center, Erica, who is with us. Um, and we, who will support us through this podcast. We also have other special guests right here, um, a former student from Yuma Union, uh, Apollo, <laughs> and we also have uh, Oliver. Before getting to this subject, we just want to guys know the, the subject that we discussed today. It is going to be a casual conversation. We are prepared about this subject, but we are not experts, so please bear with us um, when we are talking about any issue. We decided to talk about uh, this issue about the LGBTQ community because we observe that it is something important in our community, and we want to address uh, this problem. In addition to this topic, we are going to talk about the lack of awareness within the Yuma community and as there are almost no support. These issues are lack of support system, discrimination of job opportunities, the use of pronoun, healthcare, medication, training offer for the workforces without this community. So now um, Valeria is going to talk about the support system. Hello everyone, my name is Valeria Sandoval and I'll be talking about the support system. Uh, many Hispanic families who are religious live around the community since we live next to a border town. In religion, it is a sin to be a part of the LGBTQT plus community. The newer generations come from strictly traditional families. Many individuals don't come out towards their parents and family. Either their family won't be understanding or stop talking to them. In a Hispanic family, the word machismo is overheard. Machista means when a male dad figure is closed-minded and controlling. For example, a machista can tell his son not to cry because he's a male or tell his um, daughter to wear a dress because she's a female. Unfortunately, when someone cannot express how they feel, it can cause many mental issues. The individual can become depressed by not having the support system of their family. So my question to you guys is, how was your experience coming out to your family? Um, when did you decide to come out, or how long has it been? I, it's been a while that I came out from my sexuality, but... Uh, Re I've just recently come out um, as transgender, like within the past three months. Um, but when it came to my sexuality, I think I got really lucky. Um, I come from a Caucasian family who isn't very religious, and they're very open-minded. However, I do remember um, feeling that my sexuality was pansexual, and I didn't think people would really know what that was um, or be as accepting as if I were to say that I was bisexual. So I remember coming out to my mom and my stepdad as bisexual first and then kind of just, you know, slipped it in there on the way that I was pansexual instead of bisexual. I came out um, more so in a social circle with friends, like late teens, early 20s. Um, and that's about the time that I met my, my current husband. And so it, it, it was, uh, I was just very open and honest within my uh, social circle, um, but home, uh, we were 
raised in a Hispanic household, so you don't just bring anybody home. So I didn't feel the need to necessarily come out to anybody because we just don't talk about those things. And, you know, you bring the right person home because if not, man, your family's going to rip them apart, <laughs> you know, no matter if you guys get together. You know, it's like, stand at the end of the picture so we can cut you off later, you know. <laughs> so it was... Um, you, I didn't come out to my family, um, and uh, when my son came out is when uh, he kind of inspired me to be more open about it. You know, after being married for almost 19 years and knowing my husband over 20 years, it never came up again. You know, my, my bisexuality never came up, and so... Um, of course, now I'm not the person I used to be, and so kind of coming out later in life to a whole different set of people, it's it's not just my family or my home. These are my colleagues and coworkers because now I have to be that support system for my son. So the people that I came out to, you know, in my church community and friends, you learned real quick who was on your side and who had questions and and over time who stuck by and um and who were the real supporters were so um you know and that's kind of in short um what my coming out story thank you guys for sharing everything and now i'll be talking about um pronouns education uh i'm also martha <laughs> so we were talking about what are pronouns Pronouns are words that you make uh, use instead of saying your actual name, your proper name. Um, like the most common pronouns can be like she, they, he, him, they, them, or any others that you um, want to refer us. Also, um, people uh, can use one or two or more, and, and they probably, they, um, do not want like any anyone, and that's valid, and that's respectful too. Uh, however, I think uh, sometimes we don't have to assume um, people pronouns. Uh, the better way to approach somebody is asking about their pronouns. Also, um, remember that all not all people feel comfortable about this topic, and if they want to share to that to you, that's uh, a big step from them. And also be respectful about how you're asking these questions. Um, I think the best way to um, address like pronouns is starting presenting yourself with pronouns to others. Like for example, me, Martha, I consider my, myself as she, her. So that's the uh, pronouns that I go by. Um, and also uh, these make uh, like an open door for other people to share in their pronouns and make like a safe space. Remember that proper terminology can be updated. Like um, they, in the past, um, preferred gender pronouns were used, but right now, uh, I think that do not reflect the, the whole identity. Uh, right now, we use more like prefer. Um, we, we don't use prefer, we just use um, pronouns, like in general, uh, because sometimes people get confused um, if they need to follow that pronouns or because they thought that it is only like a preference. In addition, uh, I think uh, pronouns are not linked to gender. 
So it depends on each person, how they feel and how they identify. Uh, also, uh, when people are using their own pronouns, uh, this is called misgendering. Um, however, if, if that was not their intentions, um, you can just uh, make a quick apologize and just use the right ones and not make like a big deal for other people. Uh, I think like this topic for older generation, it is hard to understand and mostly um, for people who come like from a culture more closely about these topics. But I think uh, using like pronouns and understanding and learning, it is a easy way to um, start like um, thinking about that. We are, we are capable to learn and adapt and create a safe space in order to um, connect with others. Like as the pandemic, um, we never have like this experience before and we're already here. So it is a big step for us, like taking online classes and everything. So we can adapt to other pronouns. Also, I'll be talking about um, safe spaces. I know um, that in universities and college, they also have um, these places when you can go and um, they can uh, help you to, ha to be like in a safe environment and feel like home or find resources. I'll be talking about ASU, NAU, U of A, and there are many others in Arizona, but those are the ones that I focus. Also, um, these uh, resources, you can find it uh, under the link that we are going to uh, left in, the, in our link <laughs> in the podcast. Uh, we have um, some resources in Yuma as well um, for pronouns and for um, just in general. Uh, a place to go, a safe place. Um, we have our Lives Matter. We also have resources in Arizona for students, like 1 in 10, Glutzen, Saga. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right. <laughs> but there are many others, PFLAG. Um, and there are other national resources as HRC, Gender Spectrum, Glenson Again, Family Equality, and others. I think also uh, it is important to know that there are laws that protect um, people pronouns. So there are laws in Arizona, for example, the federal law 19 for this sexual discrimination and also the Arizona bill HB 2082. And I have a question for you guys if you want to ask where. Uh, what are pronouns important to you? Well, I thought that this was actually a really good question. Mm -hmm. It was one of the questions that really made me think. And the reason why it made me think was how do I really explain this to somebody who is cisgender uh, or identifies as the gen uh, with the gender that they were born as? And the best way I could describe it, other than saying that it's a part of your identity, it's also like you work your entire life to be uh, to be an astronomer, and people keep calling you an astronaut, and you're like, "No, nah, that's not what I do. That's not what I am." Um, and it's just something that's really, it's really important to you. Like you, you really identify as an astronaut um, and people keep calling you the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. uh, that's not, that's not what you were trained to do. Uh, and just like how you were, how you feel inside your own body. Uh, you don't feel, you don't relate to the thing, the, the thing that people keep calling you. Yeah, I think for uh, for me, 
because I, I've always been she, her. Um, having to unlearn what you were taught was a little difficult for us at first. Um, I believe uh, when when my son first came out, it was they them for a while. So that 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 took some getting used to. But you know, usually if you put in the effort, they they know. You know, you're the people you're you're talking to know that you're putting in the effort. Um, and something simple as just putting your pronouns um, in your profile, you know, just to kind of like, oh, this is a safe person, or they're aware that I can use my pronouns and they're not going to question it. Um, little little things like that that you can do um, if you're if you're an ally, you know, just uh, doing your part to make the other person feel comfortable. Since I use like more non-conventional pronouns, usually just online or with friends, but certain things that are only okay with certain people, it hurts to be, to have them used against me sometimes. Like, as a man who sometimes uses she, it is, it can really hurt when people use that to refer to me as female when it's more of just, I like feeling feminine sometimes, not female. It's complicated, but it means a lot, and it's very important to my identity and how I express myself. Oh yeah, I remember having um, a similar issue. Like I, w I was like, oh, I currently I'm going by he him, um, and I was like, oh, you know, I feel I don't feel she her at all. But may so maybe it's they them because sometimes I also do want to be feminine. Sometimes I do want to wear high heels, or sometimes I you know, once in a blue moon want to wear, like, makeup and stuff like that. Um, but then I was just like, oh, you have to, like, let yourself unlearn all those things. That Those are just, like, stereotypes based around that gender. Um, you know, men can wear high heels. They can wear makeup if they want to, too. So finally I was like, oh, I get it now. You know, it, it just happens to be that I like going by he, him, and every now and then want to feel feminine. Well, I want to thank uh, the guests for the candor. Uh, so... Uh, before you know, I begin with the training within the school systems or lack of thereof. I'm just going to present myself as again, again um, I'm Osvaldo. So I have a question for my guest uh, about school. Um, but before we do, before I do that, I just want to you know give you some statistics of what I have found. And I just want to say that uh, the school climate study shows that 85 uh, percent of LGBTQ students experience verbal harassment in school. Uh, they ha report higher vi uh, rates of violence. Uh, whether that be, you know, physical fights, you know, being threatened or injured with weapons. Uh, there are 190% higher odds of using drugs or any illicit, you know, substance. Uh, and while schools say that we have trainings, they really don't. I mean, they only have schools, like, trainings for, like, bullying and all of that. But they don't, they're not specific to LGBTQ, um, you know. So... When, you know, they, you have supportive adults in the school systems, you know, Children are, tend to, you know, do better academically. They do. Um, and they report better health, uh, mental health outcomes as well. Um, and, you know, we're lucky that AWC is uh, considered a safe zone. And that means that they have trainings uh, for the staff who are volunteers to do those trainings. And they are available to do, you know, consultations to ask, you know, about, like, their gender, um, sexuality, any questions they might have, you know, they're there for them. And, you know, they also have a club, the Full Spectrum. And 
Well, I mean, I, we were noticing that high schools also have uh, clubs, but my partner Martha had recently gone to Kofa, uh, and they had said that they don't know very much about them. And it's kind of a shame that you have it, but you don't know what you're talking about. So my question to our guests would be, um, if you had a faculty member as an ally in schools, would you have enjoyed your school experience more? Why or why not? I think just having somebody that you can look up to that you also relate to on that kind of level is really cool. Like I remember uh, when I was diagnosed with ADHD and my teacher told me that she also had ADHD. I was like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm not alone in this. Like they understand what I'm, go what I'm going through, what I'm talking about. Um, so I think it'd be the same thing for if somebody was, or if a teacher was um, openly out about um, being an LGBT uh, member. Uh, but my experiences with that was just, you know, if somebody happened to be gay, for an example, they would not be allowed to say it in the school. And if they did, they would suddenly get fired for, oh, I don't know, there's just something happened and you know, now they're not here anymore. Oh, well. Um, so I think even if, even if you say that, oh, well, we're inclusive because we have teachers that are part of the LGBT community, they should be able to express that they are and not just, you know, we're inclusive because they're there. They just don't say it. <laughs> Yeah, schools have a funny way of showing that they're allies or or um, part of the LGBTQ community because you have to deal with the the backlash of posting something like a, a we are safe space sticker, you know, th those kinds of things, you know, or you know they might a parent might uh, not like that they have those kind of stickers or have a pride flag in the room. So as you know many years ago when I was in high school, um, it, it, people were just more accepting. I, I went to a bigger city, a high school in a bigger city, and and there were people that were out that, you know, that uh, were LGBTQ or are LGBTQ. And so there, I didn't deal with a lot of what students now deal with. Um, but we also didn't have a safe space. We didn't have a a GSA or, or anybody that we can talk to or a faculty member that we knew was on the spectrum. You know, you just didn't ask, you didn't assume either, but you know, that. so that's my upbringing. Um, we just didn't have those, we didn't know where the safe zones were. From what I can tell, there's like, it's very hard to find spaces that are specifically for LGBTQ plus students in my school that are very openly supportive instead of just casually like, oh yeah, that's okay. We just don't discuss it in detail. Even I have teachers that are like very strong allies that they can't speak out about it. Like they had like other students behind me sitting a couple seats that ask like, what do you think about transgender people? And they, the teachers just kind of have to say they're my students, they can't be very vocal about any of that, but it hurts because like I know they're, they're allies, they can't be very openly supportive about it either. But it would have definitely helped me to enjoy my experience more if I did have like places that could be more open and accepting towards it and all of that stuff.
I think the first place I ever actually saw a pride flag was in college. Like I went through high school, middle school, elementary school, um, not seeing a single pride flag until I got to college. But I just thought that that was interesting. Okay, well, thank you, the guests, for sharing um, your experience. Um, so first, I would like to introduce myself. Uh, my name is Leticia, and I'm going to be shifting onto the topic of the lack of job opportunities that the LGBTQ plus members face. So first, I would like to focus on the impact that COVID had on the LGBT uh, members uh, in the employment aspect. And based on the survey that I found, um, it stated that 70% of the LGBTQ people had lost their jobs because of COVID-19, uh, compared to the 13% of the general population. And keep in mind that this survey was conducted from 4,000 participants um, this year, which I thought was um, a big percentage. Uh, I also found that most LGBT members have been unemployed, uh, have been employed, sorry, in a high risk of COVID exposure um, due to the many people not wanting to take the risk, and therefore the LGBT members holding the position due to the lack of job opportunities that they um, are offered. I also found that about 40% of the industries in which the LGBTQ uh, employees hold jobs are those um, are those who are uh, employees face more exposure to infection or um, to economic insecurities. So I would like to ask the guest here if any of you have experienced this or know of someone that has experienced this during the pandemic, and if so, um, and if you don't mind sharing, how was that experience? Well, I actually hadn't realized um, that the statistics for that were that like insane yeah. until I had read uh, your section on this, and I was like, dang, like that, like those numbers, because sometimes, you know, there's people that be like, oh, the correlation isn't causation kind of thing, but like those numbers are kind of like, They're yeah. They're reverse. Yeah. They're reverse. 80, would you say 82% of yeah. LGBTQ and 15 or 13%. So it's almost reversed. Yeah. Yeah, I hadn't, I have been fortunate to just have jobs like babysitting and pet sitting and house sitting and stuff like that. So um, I don't have to, you know, take a job that is going to force me to be, you know, on the front lines of COVID and stuff like that. Yeah. Because of, of um, a PFLAG in, in Yuma and uh, Yuma Pride Center, we did do get contacted by, you know, everybody on the uh, LGBTQ spectrum, and so a lot of them were, uh, some of them were healthcare professionals, you know, uh, curious about Yuma and how safe the community is, and so they're traveling nurses wanting to come or, you know, in, in the healthcare field, and it's a hard discussion to have with people, you know, where what you say can either bring people to Yuma for these job opportunities or they can really sway them, you know, but you, you also want to be honest with them. And so, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's sad. We do have people who, who are Yuma residents that have had to leave and find work elsewhere because um, there, there were no job opportunities here or they were discriminated against here. And so they're moving across the country 
you know, and then having to deal with the same thing, the discrimination once they get over there and they've already upped and moved everybody, you know, so it's, it's, it's a stat, it's a sad statistic, you know, um, but it's, it's, it's also real life. It's also reality. And, you know, we have these bills in place that, that, that kind of help, um, you know, against that discrimination, but, you know, you, you go into a workplace where there's politics and, and just um, seniority and, and maybe those opportunities aren't there for everybody, you know. But, uh, you know, you, when speaking up, you risk losing your job, you know. So it's, 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 it does happen. It happens in Yuma. Um, I know a few people who have been discriminated against, and it's something that... Um, you know, really needs to come to light and make people aware that, you know, that, that those are the kind of things that, that are, that we strive to, to fight against, you know, we, we, we need to be advocates of equality. Um, We need, you know, equal opportunity employers that are going to give everybody the same, um, you know, job opportunities. So, you know, it, it, it's sad that it does happen in this community. I just want to refer to this policy real quick. So there was a new executive order um, numbered thir- 13988, um, sorry, and it was signed by Joe Biden on January 20 of 2021. And this title does focus on preventing and combating discrimination on the biases of gender identity um, and or sectoral orientation. So this new policy states that every individual should or is treated with respect and dignity and should be able to live without fear in their employment, no matter who they are or whom they love. And now I would just want to shift on to the topic of healthcare. Hi everyone, my name is um, Shayla. And I want to start by sharing my own personal experience as a health um, care worker. Uh, after working at two major health care facilities here in the Yuma County area since um, about 2013. Unfortunately, on these medical facilities, like I mentioned, there, there are two major ones. Um, we didn't, we lacked like um, trainings, like my um, colleague Osvaldo was mentioning. We, we didn't have any trainings um, towards the LGBTQ plus community. And Due to that, more, most of the staff is not prepared to or prepare or train to approach patients um, from the LGBT uh, plus community in general. Since we don't have that training and basically um, the forms at the at these medical facilities are not like how can I say they are not um, prepared and. Um, for example, the paperwork was not updated to include pronouns. Uh, I believe like two, it has been updated like two years ago. And I think that's really sad because it does affect um, your experience as a patient. And, um, and since we do reside in a border town, um, there's still a lot of um, taboos in regards to sexual orientation. And it's really disappointing, disappointing that this affects your experience as a patient in a medical health care um, facility. And I just wanted to ask um, if you guys don't mind sharing a little bit of 
your experience um, visiting a medical facility here in the Yuma area? As someone who has just recently uh, come out as using he, him pronouns and feeling um, more masculine than anything else, uh, I have yet to go to doctors and have, you know, um, people specifically say, oh, this person's trans. So the other day when I had to go into the doctor, uh, um, they were still calling me she, her, and using my birth name. And I don't know, it wasn't, it wasn't uncomfortable because I knew for a fact that I hadn't said anything to any of them. Mm -hmm. But it was also like, it was... It was just strange because I know for a fact that they would treat you differently if they knew, uh, oh, well, this person's trans. Let me uh, update this and, you know, do this instead and this instead. And still, though, I was really surprised by how sweet they were. Like, they were so nice. And um, but besides that, I haven't really had experience with that since I haven't specifically gone to see doctors about uh, tra transition surgery and stuff like that yet. Okay. I know for uh, for me personally, um, just having a, a kid who is trans, um, I know it bothers me when I hear or have to share their birth name, um, you know, just because those are the legal documents. Mm -hmm. But a simple form or... Uh, Something else that I could ask for, do you have a, whatever form you want to call it, but that would have um, the proper pronouns to use and the proper names. Um, every doctor, every facility that I've been to has been more than welcoming and will update charts and be very respectful. But again, it's having that conversation and I'm not the one who's trans, but I'm advocating for somebody who is. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't know that, that he would necessarily feel comfortable bringing that up, um, you know, but as, a, as an advocate, you know, I'm usually the first one like, okay, I need you to stop. Like, we, yeah. <laughs> these, the, he goes by this and he uses he, him pronouns. Oh, okay. You know, and it, it's always been respectful, and, and the level of care has not changed, you know, uh, on our part um, due to that, you know. Mm -hmm. That's good that you have um, had positive experience in the medical specialties. Mm -hmm. Thank you for sharing. So thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Um, this is the end of our podcast. Um, hope you have learned something new or of interest in this podcast. Uh, before we close this, we would like to provide the National Suicide Prevention Number. It is 800-273-8255. Um, I'll repeat it again, uh, 800-273-8255. Um, and this is available 24-7. Also, in continuation, Erica will further explain of the resources available in the Yuma County in case someone is in need of any resources. Currently in Yuma, in Yuma County, we have uh, two LGBTQ nonprofits. We do have um, an active GLSEN organization, um, and that can you can look that up on GLSEN's national website. We'll give you the information, the contact information for that. We have PFLAG Yuma, 
which um, you can find information at pflaguma.org. We are also on social media. I'm currently the president of pflaguma. We have once a month meetings every third Wednesday at the Yuma Center for Spiritual Living at 7 p.m. And again, you can follow us on all social media. We just recently opened up a new nonprofit, Yuma Pride Center. Uh, you can go to yumapride.org and look up information and contact us on social media. We are still in the process of, of getting our 501c3 official. So um, just look for us on social media. Look for us on updates through PFLAG Yuma. We try to share local events, social events that we know are safe spaces to go to. Um, I wouldn't dare invite you somewhere that isn't a safe place. Um, if, if I get an inkling feeling like, you know, I just don't know if this is a proper place, I will pull out an endorsement on that event and just just share stuff that, that, that I know is a safe place for everyone in Yuma to go to. So again, thank you again for um, listening to this podcast. And there is a, a bunch of resources that um, Osvaldo will share. I want to thank everybody, um, all our three guests, you know, for being so open and honest. Um, I want to thank, you know, our audience as well. I would like to remind our audience that, you know, we will be posting all of our links, uh, you know, the ones that Erica talked about and the ones we have used to, you know, research this project. Um, and, you know, just I'm going to close it out and just say safe space under the umbrella can later open doors so people can never hide in the closet. Thank you. I hope you have a good morning, evening, or good night. Stay safe and stay humble. Thank you.